Hello and welcome to the Free Movement Podcast. I'm CJ McKinney. Kabul has fallen to the Taliban and the attention of the world is on the plight of Afghan refugees. The UK's 20-year presence in Afghanistan has generated a considerable moral responsibility to help people at risk of reprisals. But how will that work in practice and what legal rights do Afghans have to asylum in the UK? To answer those questions, I'm joined by two lawyers with experience in this exact area, Jamie Bell of Duncan Lewis Solicitors and Sarah Pinder of Goldsmith Chambers. Welcome to you both. Hey, good morning. Hi, CJ. Before we talk about this specific group of people, Afghan refugees, can we just remind ourselves of the standard ways that people can get refugee status in the UK? What's the normal process, the normal default route to getting accepted as a refugee, uh, Jamie? As a refugee, unfortunately, it's not possible to claim from your country of persecution. It's not possible to claim from a country abroad unless there are specific resettlement schemes for example the syrian resettlement scheme that was in place following the syrian civil war so for an asylum seeker to come to the uk and seek uh, refugee status inevitably they're going to have to enter um, in what the home office would call an illegal way although there is a obviously in a defense against entering illegally if you are entering for the purpose of seeking asylum so if you're an afghan seeking asylum and you're not able to get through um, any of the routes that may come up, it, you will have to travel to the UK by your own volition. Okay, we'll come back to that issue of uh, how people might be able to make their own way to the UK and, and apply for asylum through that standard process. But in terms of the resettlement schemes you mentioned, I know there have been some schemes specifically for Afghans for a number of years now, if they worked for the British Armed Forces, maybe some other scenarios. Sarah, can you tell me about those schemes? Yes, absolutely. So that's right. Um, they have been in place for many years now. Um, the first instalment of um, what is known as the Ex-Gratia scheme followed the UK's announcement in December 2012 uh, that it would be withdrawing British combat forces. Uh, so that was known as the Ex-Gratia Redundancy and Resettlement Scheme for locally employed civilians. But there was a lot of problems with that initial scheme. Um because effectively it required um, persons working directly for the UK government to be in post on the 19th of December 2012 when when this was uh, announced and to have served for more than 12 months. Um, So without going into the nitty-gritty in terms of the periods that um, the UK combat forces were were heavily present in, in Helmand in particular, you can immediately see um, the problem there uh, with the numbers when when it was um, first announced. And so thereafter, uh, there were various amendments. Um, I think it's worth noting that the first set of amendments in 2018 to the, to the scheme were largely resulting from a Daily Mail campaign, uh, which listeners may have um, come across at the time. Uh, so again, the power of the media when, when the media is on side c- can be seen there. And then the uh, 2018 amendments were then also uh, supplemented by further amendments more recently in September 2020, uh, when the requirements to have been in service were amended. So you only needed 12 months still, but from any period that the forces were there. So it was more flexible in that in that sense. It's still only restricted, though, to persons directly employed um, by the government. So there's a difficulty there. And within the practice of the scheme, uh, there was still there are still problems with regards to um, if you had if a, a person had been dis- 
dismissed or regarded as being dismissed by the government from their position. So it's it's a scheme that has uh, morphed and morphed, um, but that still includes uh, many problems in terms of its implementation and, and who it excludes. Yeah, so a number of restrictions there, although great to hear how much the Daily Mail is doing for refugees trying to uh, remove those restrictions. And, and the scheme you've outlined, is that still in operation despite the Taliban takeover? Like people are still able to apply for them and if they're accepted, they're being flown out from Kabul airport as we speak? Yeah, that's right. So the ex-Gratia scheme that, as I mentioned, started in 2012 and, and through its amendments is still in place. That is being phased out um, and due to close in November 2022. But in April of this year, so uh, April 2021, the government announced the ARAP policy, so Afghanistan uh, Relocations and Assistance Programme. Um, that is open-ended as as far as um, it's been announced so far. So that's indefinite and can continue, obviously, to, to be in place. It will be, in terms of returning to your question, it will be in relation to the practicalities of how persons can apply. Um, at the moment, under ARAP and the ex-gratia scheme, that is processed by the embassy in Kabul, which, as we know, uh, had to relocate to the airport. It's difficult to see how processing will continue there and so we just have to await further announcements okay so those were the existing resettlement schemes the ex gratia one that is winding down next year and the arab one that's open-ended what about there's a new one then that the government announced in response to the latest developments on the 18th of august it's uh, launched the afghan citizens resettlement scheme this is a third resettlement program for Afghans, uh, 5,000 people this year, 20,000 over the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. And that's effectively all that we know so far. I haven't seen anything else. Maybe Jamie um, may have some further details, um, but that that's all that we know. And, and traditionally, resettlement schemes have been um, heavily relying on uh, UNHCR to do the initial assessments. Uh, and I don't think I've seen anything published in terms of those arrangements, if, if that is to apply with this scheme as well. UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency. Uh, Jamie, anything to add uh, on the new scheme? Yeah, as Sarah said, very, very sparse information about this new assessment scheme. People are not allowed to apply for it, despite the fact um, we have been told that all international forces have to leave Afghanistan by the 31st of August. So it's quite frightening to imagine how people who are eligible for this scheme will be able to apply in the future and how they will be able to escape Afghanistan if they're eligible. What we do know is potentially who might fit under the scheme, the prioritised groups. So on the gov.uk website, there are uh, Shevening scholars, people with existing leave um, for student work or family visas, journalists and those who work with British news agencies, member of civil society groups for women's rights, Afghan government, officials working in counter-terrorism, counter-narcotics, and employees of charities, humanitarian organizations, and NGOs. Those prioritized groups are obviously people who would be directly at risk, and it's absolutely right, and it's good that the UK have announced that they are going to take some sort of steps to take responsibility for individuals who effectively have been put in danger by working with and affiliating with the UK and Western forces in Afghanistan. Um, Concerns are timings no one knows when it's going to be brought in in that time everyone on this prioritized group is at risk the numbers 5,000 
and 20,000 over five years is not enough, considering how many people are now at risk because of the Taliban, and also how this scheme will function. I'm a veteran of working uh, with the job scheme in Calais and seeing how it was like pulling teeth, getting anyone to be seen, anyone to be recognised and brought over to the UK. So hopefully it should be a lot simpler this time round, but wondering how these people are going to stay safe while their applications are being considered and processed is a real, real worry. Yeah, if it's not even open yet and the airport is closing in the next 24 hours, it's, it's yeah, hard to see how exactly it's going to shake out. And the priority groups you mentioned, I suppose that makes it different from the Syrian scheme because there are this set of criteria of who will be prioritized, whereas the Syrian scheme, that was more down to the UN Refugee Agency to, to pick people it thought was suitable, right? So it sounds like it'll be subtly different in that way. Yeah, and similar to the dub scheme where uh, individual uh, children were prioritized if they're under a certain age, if they had a certain nationality, um, and if they had specified vulnerabilities, which was never properly defined. So it's similar to that sort of scheme where the people who may be eligible can be pre-selected. And I mean, I've heard no discussion of UNHR involvement, so it remains unseen whether they're going to get involved and whether they can have any role in the transfer of Afghans to the UK. Yeah, a lot still up in the air. And it did sort of strike me that it was very much a the announcement of the scheme on the sort of weekend that Kabul fell seemed like a response to the coverage. And it, it came across as though it was an emergency response, right? It was, there are people in danger now, here's what we're doing about it. But actually, as we've established, it's not open yet. We don't know how it's going to work. So it's really more of a medium term thing, right? People becoming over the next few years rather than anyone getting out immediately. Yeah, the, the evacuations, as we've seen from the numbers, is is obviously going at a fair pace in terms of the numbers and, and, and the circumstances that, that, that are there on the ground. Where there's a question mark, it's whether persons who uh, have been evacuated over the last two weeks uh, that don't come under the ex-gratia, that don't come under the Arab, that are not British citizens. It's whether the government um, is going to be attributing um, numbers to, to the new resettlement scheme. As in uh, some of the thousands of people that have been flown out in the last few days might count towards this 5,000, 20,000 quota. So actually the numbers to come will be fewer again, potentially. I don't know. And, and obviously, it's not for me to, to speculate. But um, the, 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 we haven't had the breakdown of numbers. So I've seen Home Office figures and um, MOD figures uh, setting out um, in a period of 24 hours, the, the number of persons who are being evacuated under the Arab scheme. Um, and, and sort of the rest of the breakdown isn't there. And, and that's not a criticism because obviously it's all very um, fast paced and, and in, in emergencies. But we just, I think practitioners should just be cautious and, and obviously pressure um, should still be um, placed as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I did wonder when I heard about the emergency evacuation of people right now. I felt like a bit of a monster for thinking this, but like, what's the legal basis almost for evacuating some of these people? Because if they're, you know, will they all come under an existing resettlement scheme or are some people just kind of being herded onto planes by the army because they know them and they'll sort of the paperwork on the other end? From my perspective, um, 
all I can, I think, speak to is is the Arab applicants, the ex gratia scheme applicants. I certainly haven't seen anything sort of published or outlined uh, in terms of of how the other uh, how other persons uh, are being selected for evacuation. Save for the bar council, for example, the law society placing pressure in terms of uh, lawyers and judges in Afghanistan. So there has been, I think, some coordination across different sectors to um, prioritise certain persons deemed immediately at risk. But beyond that, um, again, I think it's difficult to tell at this stage. Yeah, I guess the reason I ask is just I wonder if there's chaos and some people end up in the UK and the reason they're there is kind of unclear whether people would end up sort of in limbo on arrival that the home office would start to turn around and say oh well you essentially got here by mistake we're going to give you some kind of you know discretionary leave and and this kind of thing and and you know long-term consequences might be a bit ropey yeah absolutely and we can't rule that out i think that kind of concern so that concern shows kind of how it's kind of ill thought out the scheme has been there's been signs that afghanistan was falling for I mean, I guess it was a month, but it's still a month to kind of bring something in place. Um, individuals um, who arrive in the UK should be given safety because Afghanistan isn't safe. So no matter the route that they um, came in, no matter what potential eligibility that they had, they should be given safety and they should give, be given protection. And it remains to be seen what the Home Office do, whether they're going to follow up their proclamations that this is a humanitarian evacuation, this is a mercy mission, and protect individuals um, who arrive in the UK and are in the UK already, or whether they fall under the elements of the hostile environment. So that remains to be seen. Okay, well, that's resettlement. But that's obviously quite a small drop in the ocean in terms of the number of people who might want to flee Afghanistan. So people who are not eligible for resettlement or who haven't made it out uh, under the emergency evacuation, if uh, asylum seekers make it to say Pakistan in the next few months and then they want to go from there to the UK to apply for asylum under the sort of normal asylum system will they be allowed to make that journey Jamie? The Home Office have discussed and there has been some um, rumours of refugee camps being set up in neighbourhood countries to Afghanistan if they come in then similar to the Syria scheme people can be processed and people can be transferred to the UK um, once their application is approved, and hopefully they can remain in relative safety while their application is processed, albeit in complete poverty, um, as and as these refugee camps are often bring to those who live within them. Um, those who try to challenge, uh, try to travel through normal routes, um, that remains to be seen how they'll be treated when they arrive in the UK. There's been a lot of um, public pronouncements and there's obviously the Nationality and Borders Bill making its way through Parliament, stating that those who arrive illegally in the UK will be at risk of having their claims not processed in the UK. I think it will be an absolute moral and outrage and a breach of so many of the UK's international obligations if these Afghans who are acknowledged to have been fleeing a despotic regime where their life is at risk are not going to have their asylum case processed in the UK because they couldn't wait years and years for the UK to consider as to whether they can be picked or not. Well, I suppose in principle, this idea that if you made an illegal journey to the UK, that your claim would be declared inadmissible. In principle, that applies to Afghan refugees just as much as any other nationality, right? In principle, yeah. And considering that Afghan refugees are probably going to make up a significant proportion of those who arrive in the UK in the future, 
it will certainly apply to Afghans if these provisions are put in place and are enforced. What about Afghans who are already in the UK? I checked the new data this morning. There's about 3,000 Afghan citizens who have a pending asylum claim. There'll be more people who will previously have been refused asylum and haven't left the country. There is talk that the government should just say everyone gets refugee status. There's no way anyone is going to be sent back. Is that going to happen, do you think? Um, yeah, so obviously the figures of 3,000 has been broadcasted of the amount of Afghans with pending claims. Um, there are also Afghans who got pending appeals, who the Home Office are defending their appeals. And there'll be thousands and thousands of Afghan men and women, often who have arrived as children who are waiting and kind of have been unable to get a lawyer, have been refused under old and out-of-date case law. They're all waiting, they're all hoping that an amnesty will be brought in to make it as easy as possible for Afghans to be recognised as refugees in the UK. Whether that happens in future, we don't know. The Home Office have been very, very quiet about it. What we do know is that the Home Office are putting a block on Afghan cases and considering Afghan cases, and they are seeking adjournments in existing appeals. So they're showing no sign of wanting to do this expeditiously. They're attaching a wait-and-see approach. So despite, again, acknowledgement of the humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan, this hasn't yet been filtered down to Afghans in the ground and Afghans already in the UK who should be recognised as refugees but haven't been yet. So they're playing for time when it comes to these pending cases, pending appeals, and we just don't know whether there'll there'll be an amnesty or not. Yeah, well, on Monday morning after Kabul fell, the first thing the Home Office did was withdraw their policy notes on Afghanistan and then started advising their caseworkers to seek adjournments in cases in the first year tribunal. So it seems to me that there was an immediate response that could have been done acknowledging that these cases are now meritorious and should be allowed, but that hasn't been done. Instead, they're carefully considering their policy position and effectively identifying whether this new Afghanistan will put everyone at risk. So that's what's currently happening. Sarah, is it automatically the case, I suppose legally speaking, that any Afghan citizen would have a valid fear of persecution if they were to be sent back? just because the Taliban are now in power? Do they not need to show that they individually have a well-founded fear of persecution, just like any other asylum seeker? Well, I think that the the latter would would seem to be the Home Office approach, and and I think ties in with what we've just heard um, Jamie share. And I think it can also be contrasted with, um, you mentioned amnesty, but but we also used to see policies uh, of granting four years of exceptional leave to remain when countries were in a state of conflict or uh, returns were not feasible. Um, So, you know, Sierra Leone comes to mind, Somalia for a a long time, Afghanistan in the earlier days. In more recent time, we haven't seen that. And and I think it's been more of a question of in terms of non-feasibility of returns or um, the states of conflicts of of looking to Article 15C of the Qualification Directive, um, which just briefly um, is a test of serious and individual threat to a civilian's life or person by reason of indiscriminate violence in situations of international or internal armed conflict. Um, So that obviously featured heavily um, with claims from Iraq, for example, when um, there was debates between the two parties, appellants and, and the Home 
home office for contested areas. So I think, again, in line with what Jamie shared, it it remains to be seen in terms of how events unfold uh, and whether that will determine the home office's approach um, to these claims. Um, But again, in the meantime, it would seem wise to take a cautious approach uh, as practitioners where necessary uh, and really try and... um, uh, front load these claims because it, it, it isn't right that they are uh, delayed um, in order to, to to avoid a resolution at this stage. The Immigration Tribunal issues binding judgments on conditions in Afghanistan. They're called country guidance cases. For example, the one saying that Kabul can be safe because the Taliban aren't in control. That came out last year when the Taliban weren't in control. Now they are. What's the status of that country guidance now that conditions have really clearly changed? Like, do judges still have to follow it or do they just adjourn the cases like you were describing earlier, Jamie? Um, Judges are entitled to consider cases on the facts that exist on the day of the hearing. So the country guidance cases, uh, they still effectively are good law until they get overturned. But a judge is entitled to consider evidence and um, the situation on the day of the hearing. There's a lot that's positive in AS Afghanistan. There's a lot that kind of demonstrates how poor the situation was in Afghanistan at the time. And it's a lot more kind of nuanced than the Home Office make it out to be. Um, and lots of Afghans have been successful in the last year in getting protection on the back of AS Afghanistan. But um, the country guidance, uh, where AK Afghanistan says that if an area is under control of the Taliban, it's not generally safe to return to. That now includes Kabul. So my reading that in accordance with AKNAS, no one can return back to Afghanistan. That's what we'll be arguing in court. Uh, final thoughts then from both of you on this issue before we wind up. Uh, Sarah, why don't you go first? I think for practitioners and, and for those interested in this area, um, it, it's increasingly important to, to stay up to date. So, I, you know, the, the the wealth of information that we get in different ways at the moment is um, is obviously a huge task to um, to manage. But you know, the Twitter feeds, social media, Home Office announcements there, uh, Gov UK website announcements there, as well as the traditional uh, country of information resources that that we all use. So I think if if we are to do our client service. Um, we need to stay as as up to date as possible, and that does mean work pressures, um, but also to, to just be cautious at this time because um, it's such a fluid um, and obviously urgent situation. That sounds sensible, Jamie. For many years, um, Afghans have been kind of forgotten, and they've been processed and rejected within the UK asylum system. Afghans haven't been believed when they've been explaining what the situation is on the ground in Afghanistan and how much control and influence the Taliban have. Now, they're all proven to be correct. And I think it's incumbent on individuals who are helping Afghan asylum seekers to keep the pressure up and to make sure that they are properly represented and that they're properly supported in this new world and that we cannot allow the Home Office to try to argue that the Taliban have changed and that the situation on the ground is such that people can return if they pretend not to have any Western ideology. It's very important to keep the pressure up and to make sure that this massive group of asylum seekers who have been historically let down are now properly uh, supported and are allowed to kind of live in safety in the UK. 
I know you'll be doing your very best with your clients to ensure that happens. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, Jamie Bell from Duncan Lewis Solicitors and Sarah Pinder from Goldsmith Chambers. This has been a podcast from Free Movement, a website covering all aspects of UK immigration and asylum law. Visit us at www.freemovement.org.uk. We'll be back with the next episode of this podcast, uh, which is our monthly update uh, with myself and our editor, Colin Yeo, on Friday the 10th of September. Until then, thanks for listening.